This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. Today's episode features the awesome comedian and writer Brock Wilbur. Brock's obsession is the television show Dexter, which I have watched all of on purpose. I have watched a lot of television in my life, but a fun, relatively new thing for me is that my wife and I got cable for the first time when we moved here to Los Angeles about a year ago, so we have been dancing with a devil called the DVR. Holy Christ, it fills up fast. And it is awesome to stay caught up with shows like Flash and Arrow and Game of Thrones and Parks and Rec and Doctor Who and Agent Carter and the Vicar of Murder Village. Not a real show, but I wish it was. We also DVR Gotham, but we do not watch it. We watched the first several episodes and thought, this is fine. We thought it was fine for something that is also boring, depressing, and terrifying. In theory, a Batman show without Batman should be okay, but the pedantic geek in me doesn't like meeting every single one of Batman's villains in realizing that they are 10 to 15 years older than Batman. It makes Batman seem like an asshole who just likes to beat up weirdos who are older and slower than him, like he goes down to City Hall and looks up people's birth records and, oh, the Riddler? The Riddler is 42? Okay, I can take him. I also found the show terrifying because by about the fourth episode, some of the actors were chewing the scenery so hard I was afraid they were literally going to bite a chunk out of my television. And yet, we still DVR every episode of Gotham, and they haunt me every time I scroll past them. I realized that I am treating the television show Gotham like I often treat my own feelings. I have them on DVR, and maybe I will deal with them eventually. But enough about Batman and my feelings. Here's a few quick plugs. Patreon! This podcast is made possible by my kind patrons. If you enjoy the podcast and you feel like you have a pesky extra dollar or two per month you'd like to just get out of your pants, please consider supporting the podcast. You can find out all the details on patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. Shows! I have a bunch of shows coming up in Los Angeles on Saturday, February 21st at 9pm. My show Comedy Dreamtime returns. The premise of the show is I get a bunch of comedians, actors, and cool humans to come on the show and live out a comedy dream or fantasy of some kind. This particular show will feature a dream stand-up set from J. Elvis Weinstein, a song by Ali Gertz based on audience suggestions, and James Urbaniak playing his dream role of a villain from a James Bond movie. The show is at the brand new Nerdist School stage, which is right next to Meltdown Comics on Sunset. Then on Tuesday, February 24th, I'll be hosting the brutal wordplay competition known as Pundemonium. This is a great show for people who love puns and also for people who hate puns. It's a really unique, fun, weird show featuring volunteer audience contestants and celebrity judges. This show's celebrity judges will be Greg Benson, Amy Berg, and Clark Wolf. To get details or tickets for these shows, check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com slash live dash shows. And now, please get out several large rolls of industrial plastic, tape them up all over your home so no one can disturb you or accidentally discover your true identity as a serial podcast listener, and enjoy Brock Wilbur's obsession with Dexter. Hello and welcome back to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I am sitting in my home with a leviathan of comedy and an awesome human being, Brock Wilbur. He let me into his home. (laughs) How are you doing, Brock? I'm doing great. Excellent, excellent. Can you tell the people listening at home a little bit about who you are? Uh, My name is Brock Wilbur, stand-up comedian, uh, born and raised in Salina, Kansas. Uh, Now I live out in Los Angeles. I do comedy and movie things and stuff. Uh, I uh, have a couple of albums out uh, that are on the iTunes if you ever want to track those down. And I'm uh, on Twitter at Brock Wilbur, and you can find me there and say hi and tell me the stuff I get wrong in this podcast. <laughs> awesome. Your albums are great. I love Thank your you. I love your albums as well. See, Aww. we're, we're Aww. very much in love. Excellent. <laughs> this will be a lovely podcast of love. And a uh, perfect transition to your topic uh, your obsession is Dexter, the television show? Dexter, I think, is is the one, yeah. 
was when when I sent you the email to say, hey, you want to do this? What's your obsession? Was there a lot of thought, or were you just like, yes, fuck yeah, Dexter? The, there are like a couple of shows that I've watched enough times that I'm like, I've memorized the things and I know all the stuff. And like South Park is one of those two, but there's really nothing left to say about South Park. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think Dexter is probably the one that I have the most things about and the most feelings about and the most back and forth on. So yeah, yeah, we'll do Dexter today. Cool. Well, uh, so this is going to be spoilerific. So uh, if you haven't watched Dexter, um, Maybe you can go watch it real quick and come back, or you can just listen to the spoilers. I like the idea that somebody would hit pause and then do eight <laughs> seasons of Dexter mm. real quick. So, but for people who are just belligerently going to listen, having mm. not heard or watched uh, any of Dexter, what is Dexter for somebody who has never even heard of it? Uh, Dexter was a Showtime series uh, about a serial killer uh, who uh, had been adopted as a young child by a police officer that knew something was very bad and broken about him. Uh, But uh, rather than getting him treatment or exposing him for being a monster, uh, his (laughs) his dad gave him a code of ethics to work by uh, so that Dexter would go out and get all the bad people that the police officers and the system couldn't get. Uh, And as long as he sticks to that code of Harry, uh, he can keep being a cool murderer. And now he's grown up. (laughs) Uh, and he works as a blood spatter analyst uh, for Miami Metro, and his sister is also a detective in that department. And so, a lot of the back and forth in that show, in the show, comes from him kind of trying to do bad at his job so that he can go out and kill these people himself rather than let the police do it. Uh, which in the first couple seasons isn't so sabotage and in the later seasons, you're just like, you're not even trying. People have to be able to tell that you're not doing very good. Yes, he is single-handedly there. ruining all of Miami police work. Yeah. I love the way that you describe that, because about three sentences into your description, it sounded like the great setup to a superhero story. Like... And, and, when he and, gets a and code, it is, it, and sometimes it, they get very excited about that, like they have a comic book episode where he, uh, his... Uh, the rumors of his existence lead to something called the Dark Defender, and somebody writes a line of him being a, a superhero. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. I think that's, I'm going to say that a lot about, <laughs> about Dexter. I forgot about that episode. That's fine. There's a lot to be forgotten. So, have you, did you watch it as it was broadcast, or did you binge watch it? Um, uh, Dexter was an interesting thing for me because uh, I'd not watched any of the other. Uh, early in, like, the Showtime HBO TV were doing different kind of TV stuff. Like, I missed uh, Sopranos and and Deadwood and some of the things like that. So Dexter was my first sort of non-cable TV show that I was like, oh, this is a, a, a thing and I need to get into. And it was actually midway through the first season, and my dad kept calling me and being like, you got to watch this show. It's great. And I'm like, <laughs> it's about a killer. He's like, he's a killer, but he's also a cop. And I'm like, that's the oldest tropiest okay yeah there's two sides to every criminal sure thing we'll do that he's a blank uh, but a blank yeah he's like no he's a murderer but he kills bad guys and there's something about it that for, uh, for it to be something that appealed to my dad in kansas and his conservative sensibilities and even to my mom too that they were both real excited about the serial killer i was like i don't know if this is gonna be weird <laughs> right-wing propaganda that i'm not gonna get on board with uh, and then at the uh, right after the uh, first season came out on DVD, the week before season two started, uh, it was the first show I remember. We got the DVD and a couple of friends sat down and we binged it all in a day, and, and, uh, the day before the second season premiere. And then that kind of set this tempo for me that I couldn't watch the live stuff because the wait from week to week between episodes was just murder on me. <laughs> so as the, as the series went on, I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to binge the day the DVDs come out. I can't do the waiting thing. And now that's how I deal with all entertainment. So, so you don't watch anything live. I don't, I haven't had cable ever. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I think the one show that I, I keep up with now on a weekly basis is, uh, Scandal. Okay. <laughs> that's about it. That's that's the other one we could have talked about today, but uh, I figured you might have more things to say about Dexter than Scandal. Well, we just binge-watched, the uh, my wife and I, the first two seasons of Scandal. 
Oh, so you uh, wear the white hat. Good. I, I do wear the white hat. Good. I also wear the hat of great confusion because we watched it so fast. And when I think of Scandal, it's just a montage of the president looking sad, mm-hmm. having sex, people mm-hmm. yelling about hats. And I can barely remember what happened in what order. It uh, it, it greatly benefits by a rewatch. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm going to have to like make a chart like a serial killer to remember <laughs> what happened in Scandal for myself. Just like David Rosen in episode 30. It's fine. <laughs> Excellent. So do you, would you call yourself an obsessive person in general? Do you tend to obsess on things? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think it's it's okay to say that I have an addictive personality. Uh, so have you watched Dexter more than once then? So you binge watch each season. Then yeah. you go back and rewatch? Um, they, as as we now venture into the spoiler territory, uh, one of the things that's very exciting about Dexter to me is that uh, the first four seasons make this this perfect arc, and it and it ends there. And Amen. then I, re- I remember watching the first episode of season five, which is shot in a new place, and has a whole new writing team behind it, mostly people that had come over from the just-canceled 24, and it felt like didn't take any time to watch any episodes of Dexter and just said, I think we know what's going on here and what people want. And it season five, episode one, remains for me the worst episode of television just ever produced. It just nukes everything interesting and likable about the show. And so for years, I didn't go back to it. I was like, nope, I'm just going to have that perfect four-season arc for me and I'll never let the thing get ruined and and of course in those years I'd mostly hear from friends like are you staying up with Dexter this season oh boy it's just another (laughs) disaster and when I finally sat down and and plowed through the rest of it which was about a year and a half or so ago uh, I got through a couple of those episodes in season five and then the rest of season five at the end you know it, it stumbles across the finish line then you're done and then the next couple of seasons, it's it's this very interesting thing for me because it's season five is so bad, it creates this 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 valley that that it's only it's, it <laughs> it divides the show and then it's almost like you're just starting a new show with completely different people and with different motivations. So the last couple of seasons wind up being really good for me in this way. I was like, oh, you they had to recover from doing so very bad and now they've built up and and so there was a lot of things that I found to enjoy in that stuff as long as I didn't hold it against the standard of the first four seasons, which I, for I, 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 there's a lot of shows I like, like Gilmore Girls and stuff that get up into the seven, eight season stuff and a lot of those things around the 200th episode or so, you're like, yeah, we've we've been here and done this. And I think one of the things that I like so much about Dexter is that 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 dark period that you could almost just skip and then you come back and it's it's a new show uh yeah yeah so i i i now i rewatch and i almost always rewatch and just skip season 5 so i don't <laughs> cuz you're still so personally mad at it it's it's a sad thing to be a 30 year old man alone in your apartment screaming at a television <laughs> hoping that somebody from 6 years ago can hear you critiquing their work it's not a yeah, but I do cute. that. I do that with almost everything that I obsess on that I like. I mm-hmm. never obsess on something that is just good. It is always something that is good and then has horrible parts. And I think about the horrible parts just as much because it's that sort of that train wreck of like, how could it have been prevented, or what is the hidden gold in this horrible tragedy? I watched uh, Horns yesterday. Oh, I haven't seen Horns. Uh, where Daniel Radcliffe has gets horns. double horns that he can use <laughs> to track down his girlfriend's killer. And I've, it's been a while since I've just been so very, very angry at a film for being <laughs> so close, having all the elements that could have made a very exciting film and then just winding up being this two-hour long. Like at the 30-minute point, he gets the horns and the superpower, and then they spend 30 minutes flashing back to his childhood. I was like, you can't... Wow. Th- you, you can't, like, make Superman and then go back to doing a bunch... Like, do you, you don't do this. It's it's so, <laughs> so very bad. Uh yeah, and and for a, a book written by Stephen King's son and, and having a bunch of really cool people in the cast, it just bungles its way through the whole thing. It's like they were very excited. Hey, we got Harry Potter to say the F word a bunch. Is this gonna <laughs> is this gonna be really cool to people in twenty fifteen? Uh yeah, they should have just called it Harry Potter with horns, because I think that's Probably. why people saw it. Uh so I'm fascinated by this thing about Dexter where uh you know how if you say certain things people have just an immediate dumb 
like little thing they say. Like when you say J.J. Abrams for a while, people just said lens flare. Lens flare. Almost like yeah. the entire culture had OCD and you had to say lens flare if mm-hmm. you said J.J. Abrams. I feel like when people say Dexter, somebody has to say tonight's the night. And I don't know why. And I was, I was thinking about that for this podcast. And then my wife and I were having dinner. And that literally happened. People were discussing TV shows. And somebody's like, hey, have you heard, have you watched Dexter? And this dude who must have been like from Germany in an Eastern European accent was like, tonight is the night. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I remember I just moved to Hollywood when, I, I, when season two was getting ready to start. And they had uh, over on uh, like a... Uh, Hollywood and Sunset on on one of the buildings there was this giant billboard for Dexter. <laughs> and it had his face and it had blood on it and the the type said uh, America's favorite serial killer. And I was like, for foreign people that come here, <laughs> I, I I'm willing to believe that some of them are like, oh America, they they definitely do have a reality show where they've got a serial killer. <laughs> like that's so that's so American of them. Yeah, L.A. is terrifying with the billboards because they're larger than anywhere else and when. I first moved here, it was advertising the new season of Game of Thrones. So all across this all scary city, die. all men must die. Welcome to Los Angeles. There's one on the west side uh, that's the uh, like American Idol billboard. Mm. And they put up the faces of all the finalist contestants for like the last 15 or 20 or whatever. And as the weeks go by... Uh, as people get kicked off the show, they put these big red X's over their faces. <laughs> so it looks like a terrorist hit list. Like, I'm always just like, oh, somebody's definitely working their way through their Kill Bill murder list <laughs> on the show. Yeah. yeah, it's this. Everything is murder for me. If it's entertainment, it's got to be murder, apparently. So, why do you think Tonight's the Night has become like iconic in what people sort of associate with the show is a catchphrase? I mean, it's. It's repeated maybe ten times in the first episode, and then it, it's it's a theme. It's always the first episode of the season always plays with that idea, and it's, you know it's funnier later on when it becomes about like bowling night or taking care yeah. of the kids or things like that. Uh, do you ever say that to yourself? No, I never. <laughs> I, ne- I never speak to my dark passenger. <laughs> well, that was my next question. I think for me, what I really like about the show and where I think it is powerful is that the dark passenger idea that we all have something dark inside ourselves, but that sort of safety of alienating it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I was watching the show, I would have, you know, feelings like, I was kind of a dick to someone on Twitter. I guess I have a dark passenger too. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, it, I, I didn't so put clearly... the pickles back in the fridge. I'm a pretty evil guy. <laughs> the uh... dark passenger. But to me, it, it sort of like, it creates that analogy for, we all do shit that we know we don't, want to do, but we feel kind of compelled to have some sort of catharsis of evil or assholery. Well, it's, and the Dark Passenger always seemed... It's it's part of what I think that makes the show so exciting to people, or, or drew them in, especially at the start, and I, I absolutely, I think it's what grabbed my parents, uh, is that we live in a time of a lot of cultural and political stagnation, and a lot of what makes Dexter exciting is it's just, it's a person that gets things done and, and he fixes them, and, and a lot of times now, you know, in your head, that anger over those things uh, can, in an imaginary way, take a violent form because violence is a form of, of change, and, and, and it's, it's, it's definite and visual, and, and you've done something. It's, it's, it, you've made something with your hands. It's, it's more of a creation thing, and I've always thought The Dark Passenger, when I, when I first started with the show, it, it spoke to me as very much an addiction thing, uh, which they cool. got into in season two. Too, but I think the the more I think about what brings me back to the show and makes it so exciting is that that same sense of you know you just want something in this world to get fixed and you want things to be done and it's a show where something always gets done and to tie it into Scandal I I think that that's a lot it it wasn't until my rewatch of Scandal where there is a very clear Dexter character in in Huck right uh, but that show. <laughs> Everybody in that show gets murdered all of the time, and it's usually <laughs> to make something happen in politics. And I was like, oh, this is what's so exciting about this show, a world where bills and laws got passed and people would care enough about them to murder friends and family. Like, that's – you just want a show that shows a world where change is happening. Right, instead of just pudgy white men <laughs> being yeah, resistant. Yeah, it's I, – I, I, 
I want to have like uh, like how on a murder she wrote, they're like, oh, in that town over the season for the size of the town and the number of people killed, it's like thirteen percent of the population. <laughs> I want to have that breakdown for scandal of like how many bills and laws get passed each year <laughs> in that show versus reality where everything is just you know somewhere on yeah. some floor always getting passed around. It's like, and that's what makes it exciting that and even the idea that people would care that much about the issue, and it's kind of the same thing with Dexter, the idea that somebody would care that much about making things good. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. I hadn't thought of Dexter from that perspective. I always thought of it about the personal catharsis, but the idea of getting something done, I think, is really prevalent, but it always comes with that sort of uh, really maudlin sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Like, certainly, Jack Bauer, 24. There's a lot of that in Scandal. Uh There's a lot of that in Batman. Everybody who wants to make a difference, but they have to sacrifice everything. Mm. And with Dexter, it's almost the opposite, where he is making a difference and explicitly getting personal satisfaction out of it. So instead of that, like, I lost everything, but I saved the world, he's like, hey, I made the world a little bit better. But more importantly, I killed a guy. Season one ends with a parade in his honor. Like, it's sort of, (laughs) you know... Yeah, there there is a... a, a, For being a, a very modeling show in that way, it's also... Uh, and the, and this is the thing that died at the start of season five and that they had never really got back to was that seasons one through four are incredibly funny. Yeah. Like every third line or so is a really dark joke or even sometimes just very light stuff out of nowhere and the characters have such an interesting repartee with each other uh, and it's such a fun murder show in that way. It, 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 it doesn't not take itself seriously, which is important. Um but the the dark passenger thing that you brought up is is interesting as somebody who's read the books and I I had to stop those at one point uh, because but uh, you did read them I I read a couple of them uh, and then there was a very definite point that I had to back out because there was a point <laughs> where they suggest where there is a book I don't remember the specifics of it right now I just remember being like no I'm I'm out of here uh, where it's revealed that the dark passenger is more of a supernatural entity that might be able to possess people and that there might be kind of like a cult around the thing and that maybe somebody's trying to get the... Like if somebody broke an amulet, Dexter would be free? Exactly. (laughs) And I was like, oh, let's not Green Lantern. This isn't uh, okay. But there were... were, uh, the show sort of season one and the first book are super close to each other. And then starting in season two, they start to go different ways. Uh, but the two things that I took from the books that I was expecting to see in the show, because I'd read the books before uh, the second season aired. Uh, one was that uh, Dexter kills somebody and winds up uh, having to hide their wedding ring in his pocket. And he forgets about it. And uh, his girlfriend finds it in the wash, and she thinks that's him proposing, and that's how they wind up getting married. <laughs> it's like an accident. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's what I meant to do. Uh, but the other one was that at the end of season two, uh, Dokes gets blown up. Right. Uh, and in the book, he survives, but he's kind of just this, like, big mound of flesh that's being kept alive by machines and stuff and his like mouth is blown up so he can't say anything but he's still got eyes and he knows Dexter's secret at that point so he becomes this guy that Dexter kind of goes to visit and talks to about like the things that he's doing because he can't he just sits there and like gurgles and he's like he's still alive and stuff and I was like oh that would have been a horrifying thing to see on television (laughs) but I I, I, when season three started I was definitely expecting that we were going to see a weird dokes meat wad that would have been would, great yeah that would have uh, been i mean it's it's horrible in that but i think the the success then they would have had this weird bromance this weird friendship <laughs> it's like it's my one friend i can tell about my stuff and he's gurgling and a little uh awful and be <laughs> so <laughs> mad so mad and you, you'd have to have that moment where he accepts like this is what i am is his unpaid unwilling therapist but I, I feel like the theme that they do manage to keep throughout the entire show, mm. even into the, the rough, indifferent later seasons, is that idea of Dexter just trying to find someone who can just kind of understand. So yeah, that would have been an interesting way to like underline that idea mm-hmm. of, like, I do have this mound of flesh that kind of understands, but he can't really understand. Yeah, as he starts to build 
this sort of family that mm-hmm. and, and, I, and he does yeah he's like well i got my murder girlfriend got like a kid i got this mound of anger meat uh yeah that's he's building his super team of understanding friends got him a, a, a therapist mom yeah there's a lot of things cool uh so obviously he goes on for eight seasons and lots of people find out his secret but the miami police never really mm-hmm. find out his secret do you think the actual miami police are offended by their portrayal in Dexter. Oh wow. This is a it, it it didn't it didn't hit me until a couple maybe two years ago how perfect it was that this was set in Florida. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. of course it has to be set. That's where because <laughs> they don't they don't make that big of a deal of it on the show. I feel like if the show was made now, everything would be like Florida man tweets kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I the the show is is surprisingly complimentary to the Miami Police Department after basically the first season. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't think that. I'm sure that in real life they're much worse at their jobs than they are on TV. <laughs> they it's, really care on TV. Yeah, uh, and they would discover a lot if Dexter didn't constantly screw them over. <laughs> <laughs> Did you feel like the last season? I saw a lot of people saying that they felt like the last season should have been about the everybody finally finding out and Dexter having to deal with all of these characters that we've come to know and sometimes like uh, all of them dealing with the truth of, of who he is and how Dexter reacts to that. Um, I, I think that the, that's, that's never been a feeling that I've had. I've, I've never looked at one of the seasons and been like, you know what this should have been. <laughs> uh, okay. So you don't obsessed in the correcting way. I, I well, it's a, it is the idea that they had and and what they did was odd uh but i don't feel like that i was ever compelled to be like i really want to see that thing happen mostly because that thing happening i think maybe be because it's just so expected yeah maybe it's that kind of thing they like that that kind of thing feels like the thing that somebody that sits down to write a spec episode of dexter He's like, I'm going to do the thing. And the two characters I always wanted to see together, they'll be together. And that be... <laughs> so, It's sort of spec script fan fiction. <laughs> and they go to Disneyland. Yeah, it's... <laughs> he murders someone dressed as Pluto. Did awesome. you read the uh, the leaked Ghostbusters 3 script? No. They, uh, about, Is it an actual script? About a month ago back, they uh, the, the script they were working with in 2009 leaked... And it came out like a day or so later that it was definitely an internet fake. But somebody okay. went, did, did the time to make this real legit Ghostbusters three script. But the the things that they were up against in the script were like Slender Man and Cthulhu. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm pretty sure this isn't. And there, but there was that day that I was like, if this is the real thing that they were working with, they were definitely like, what's trending on the internet? What will kids like today to see in this movie? And also fighting Grumpy Cat. And- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's Aubrey Plaza doing here? <laughs> uh, so people also seem very divided on the internet about the quality of acting of Dexter's sister. I don't remember the uh, actor's name, but the character oh, Deborah. Deb Morgan. Deb Morgan. I love Deb Morgan. I thought she was great. The The best part of the last season for me was that there they circulated rumors that there was going to be a Deb spinoff show. Uh, which I was like, no one in the world wants that. No one has ever <laughs> wanted that show. As much as I love Deb, there's no part of this. It's like, you know what? That show about the serial killer is a police officer. What if we just got rid of the serial killer part? And she was related. So it was a show about somebody that we'd already seen for nine seasons whose big selling point was that they were related to an interesting character. <laughs> like, no. And then, of course, the show ended the way it ended. And you're like, oh. Uh, I kind of think that they played with us there a little bit, which is something I kind of expected to happen in Breaking Bad, too, when the rumors about Better Call Saul started spreading. I was like... Oh, that they were going to just murder Saul. That's what I expected because of the Dexter thing. I was like, oh, I've I've gone down this road before. Um, No, I, I I love Deb mostly because Deb looks just like my sister. Oh, okay. Which is weird. Uh who's also sometimes a little bit of a potty mouth. Uh, she is a... Uh, it, it goes back to that first four-season arc thing. She starts out as this really bratty, weird idiot, uh, <laughs> which, of, of the things that they corrected 
from the first episode or two onward into the series. They made her smarter, which was real important because you can't write a dumb character. Uh, and they got rid of the the uh, the subplot that existed in the book that they brought over for no reason where uh, La Guerta wanted to have sex with Dexter and was always hitting on him. Yeah. Because in the first episode or two, you're like, this weird thing is not panning out in any sort of way. Uh, which in the books, Deborah is described as this very voluptuous, like, centerfold type person. Oh, okay. And and the character is very, like, straight-laced and stuff. So her portrayal as being this twiggy, smoky, profanity person. Yes. Like, this was a better call. Very one of, one of the many things that they uh, did right in the adaptation into the series. Also in the in the first book, uh, the ice truck killer uh, uh, kills uh, La Guerta. Oh, okay. Uh, near the end, he actually kills Laguerta and then tries to get Dexter to kill Deb, and that's that's when that thing's happened. I was like, oh, Laguerta, gone so fast. <laughs> that would have been okay. Uh, so I I love her creative swearing. All of Deborah's really creative swearing. Yes. Would Would you mind doing some creative swearing? <laughs> uh, usually, it starts in that very frustrated way, and so oh, fuckle sticks. Like it's just. <laughs> It, it always looks like she's really just about to cry, and whatever sounds come out, come out. Yeah. What's your Deborah? You didn't that well, I I could not possibly do better than fuckle that. Fuckle sticks. It, no. The fuckle sticks. But uh, I hadn't thought. I I always just like the weird chaining together of ass fucking cock mounting monkey shit pile. There we like, are. Like just all it's of very those Cartman esque. Yeah. Those weird words. But yes, I really like it. Your your uh, point that she does kind of seem like she is a toddler that's gonna like it's like when a toddler falls over mm-hmm. and then they stand up and they're trying to decide whether or not to cry. <laughs> it sort of has that energy, it, it but does. then it comes out as just an endless string of great <laughs> profanity. And yeah, my wife does not swear much at all, uh, and she loved the swearing. And that was, I think, another point of like this show is just about catharsis. It's about Killing bad people. I like that your wife can identify that she loves the swearing. I like this element. The <laughs> no. bad the bad words. They work uh, for me. This is verging on disgustingly cutesy. But uh, my <laughs> wife and I have uh, rewind moments where we are like, I think that's worth rewinding. Uh, and often Aww. a particularly great swearing streak would be a rewind moment nice. for my wife. Uh, so if you could sit down and have a beer with any of the side characters from Dexter, who would you want to sit down and have a beer with? Angel. Always Angel. <laughs> Angel Batista. Angel Batista. <laughs> he's he's the one that should have deserved the spinoff. Like, that's... It, as the show goes, they, they have to... Uh, especially as you get into the later seasons, you realize... And for a while, I was like, oh, I think this has to do with, you know, uh, Michael C. Hall doing his medical treatment stuff that they you know, had less time shooting with him. Uh, so they had to really build up some of the other characters. And it, it works so well for the show because uh, uh, Batista winds up being almost more of a main character than Deb does, especially in some of the later seasons. He starts to have like his own little sitcom that's just yeah. running in the background. <laughs> it's like Batista's house kind of in the background of yeah. Dexter. He finds a daughter. He opens a restaurant. He has some dating problems. <laughs> You're right. It is very sitcom I'd never put that. <laughs> oh, you're absolutely right. Uh, yeah, there's uh, uh, Quinn. Quinn. The, the cop. Quinn's just, yeah, he's just kind of gruff asshole. But I, I think a, a good gruff asshole. He, his is always so hard for me because he's an introduction at the start of season five there. Right. When they're just like, I don't know, we're just going to throw this thing at the wall. Or I uh, know in season four, uh, he's he's there because he's having sex with the daughter, who's the journalist. Right, right. Uh, but season five is where he, he, for me, and him and Deborah and their love thing and their whatever, they were the most poorly written characters in that show because <laughs> they just started doing things for no reason at all. They're like, I'm going to sleep with you. Now I'm not going to talk to you. Now I'm going to maybe take some money on that. It's just like none, none of this is motivated by anything. You're just doing things that you think people want to see on television. Yeah, yeah. They were very much like a Facebook <laughs> relationship on yes. on screen. <laughs> uh, so, but Angel, you'd want to have a drink with him. Is it because he's so avuncular? Perhaps. I think it's because he's always... a. <laughs> Like, I, I, I think he's the only character in TV that I associate with tequila. <laughs> like, there are plenty of people you can associate with different wines. 
Olivia Pope with the red, Skylar White with the white. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's any other character I can think of that uh, has been on a show that I love that's always just got tequila. And yeah. So it's it, like now when I think of tequila, his character and certain shots of that are are are, are bound together for me. So. Yeah, I think he's about the most likable character on television who is consistently full of shit. And usually wrong. He gives out <laughs> advice to everybody. So it feels like really like the kind of advice you get from your drinking buddies in real life where their life is a fucking mess, but uh, they know how to fix yours. Oh, yes. Yeah. And clues. Season two where he's big on, on the secret and trying to force that on Dexter is so <laughs> great for me. I forgot about that. That's great. I haven't seen that one. Uh, Visualize the change that you want to... <laughs> oh, come on, man. <laughs> uh so the opening credits of the show, uh, they demonstrate detailed Dexter's morning routine. Perfect. The perfect intro I, sequence. It is amazing and great. And all this tension of how kind of the violence of everyday life. Uh-huh. If there was an opening credits of a television show that documented your morning routine, what would it look like? <sighs> I, I don't know how to perfectly capture <laughs> that first 10 minutes of existential dread. <laughs> It's probably it's probably one long shot like the end of American Psycho that just slowly goes into my eye while I'm looking in a mirror <laughs> trying to convince myself we're going to do it again today. We're going <laughs> to shower. It's an important thing. Uh the intro sequence uh <laughs> the uh the guy who uh did the score for the series uh very briefly had like a a bi-monthly show at the Largo. Uh, where oh, cool. he would play with an orchestra of, of of a couple of friends, and they would recreate stuff that he'd done for that, and he'd done music for some of the Silent Hill games and some uh, other TV show work stuff like that. But it was so great because so much of his uh, musicianship is built uh, on on so many different instruments, and and to watch uh, a lot of that Dexter score performed, you realize how many of those uh, pieces involve, you know. Uh, rubbing glasses with different amounts of water in them okay. and like weird little uh, box instruments that he'd built and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, this is there's a lot happening in this in this score, uh, which I'd always wanted to find a copy of it on vinyl. They never released it. And then right before the holidays, they released it <laughs> on a red blood spatter vinyl, but they only released it in Hot Topics. So I didn't know because I haven't been to a Hot Topic in a decade. And by the time I found uh, out about it, they were sold out. So I was on eBay being like, how much am I going to get gouged on this thing? Uh, Which I'd I'd completely forgotten until I tracked out a copy that on the season one soundtrack, there's a bonus track at the end of it, which it's the theme song to the show and a guy raps over it. And he very clearly has the same last name as the producer of the album. So it's definitely like the guy's like son or nephew who's like, yo, you know, what would be really cool for my career is if you could get me on that Dexter soundtrack. And he just does this terrible white guy rap. And it's, it's, it's so dismantling. So it's a thing that now when I put the record on, I have to be very conscious of when I get to the song right before it to like run over and just like hit the needle off. Cause I don't, cause it's, that's one of those things that I'll, I'll hear the first couple of measures of it and then just start yelling in my apartment. Like, no, don't shut up. <laughs> what is the context of the rap? Is it about Dexter? Is he describing Dexter's like literally what's happening on the credits of like, he's in his shoes. He's making eggs. Oh my God. That would have been great. That'd be, that's some Wesley Willis level stuff. Oh, that would have been incredible. So what is it about? It's a rap about murder, like uh, like all all raps. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, I want it to be about making breakfast. So it's oh. like straight out of Florida, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Dear God, wow! Straight is... out of Gainesville. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, so if you were gonna be a heroic serial killer like Dexter, what would your system or your shtick be Oof. to justify it? Oof. Uh, the system and the wow. Harry's Law is pretty good, even though it you know it runs up against its problems. Uh, I, and I'm trying to rem- I I remember the general idea of the code, but there there are like bullet points, right? There's like two or three main. It's that Dexter has to be absolutely sure that the person is guilty of the crime. Like right. can't kill anybody that could possibly be innocent, uh, and that the person has absolutely 
made it through the system. Like, there's no chance that there's any sort of thing that the police can Right, do. so there is that sort of justice thing that you were talking about very early on with your with your parents, of mm. that sort of, like, uh, somebody will, yeah. will, will meet out justice even if the system doesn't. Uh, I, I, I always uh, wind up thinking back to... Uh, Herbert Selby Jr. has a book called uh, Waiting Period. Uh, he's the guy that wrote uh, Requiem for a Dream and stuff. Uh, and it's this... Uh, it, it's written in a character voice in one unbroken paragraph as like an internal monologue. Uh, and it uses a lot of weird spellings. It's very much like reading A Clockwork Orange. Uh, and it's about a guy that decides that he wants to get a gun uh, to kill himself. But they want, he winds up having the waiting period, and while he's in the waiting period, he's like watching TV and sees all these people that are terrible and doing terrible things to the world, and so he decides he would he should kill them first. <laughs> uh, and then he winds up, you know, not he gets the gun, but he's like, ah, maybe I shouldn't kill myself because I should keep killing these people. Uh, uh, God bless America, Bo- Bobcat Goldthwait, th- Goldthwait, Goldthwait's film uh, winds up being a lot like this. But uh, in that book. Uh, one of the things that he does is that he goes to like a Westboro Baptist Church <laughs> uh, type uh, place and they're having a big barbecue and he puts like Ebola in all the meat. Like, he, or he gives them like meat that's been tainted oh, wow. and they all get sick and die from that, which I was always like, huh, bad barbecue meat. That's a really <laughs> weird mass murder uh, tool to have. I always thought that that was very. Sp- <laughs> It's one of those things like someday somebody's going to make that movie and that film, that scene's going to be very exciting to me. Uh, I mean, if if you're going to be a serial killer, <laughs> I don't know how you determine are are you are you a serial killer that only kills bad people? Are we are we going to stick by that or is uh, it... no? Sure, go 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 wild with it. If you are just going to kill people, <laughs> <laughs> would you have a system to it? There, there are so many interesting approaches to getting rid of people right now, <laughs> uh, especially because we have an overpopulation problem and we have right. a lot of terrible people. But uh, terrible is such a, a gauge thing. I feel like there's, you know, people are, are so angry about political stuff these days. It's very easy to point at the people on the other side of the thing and be like, I'll just get rid of all that. But that's right. not an approach because that's, you know, democracy in action and that's you know, people's opinions and stuff, even though it feels in your heart. <laughs> like maybe you could, uh, I, I always, I, I always was surprised that there wasn't more of, uh, of Dexter just sort of hanging out outside of uh, prisons. <laughs> just w- picking them off as they yeah, got released. Kind of that thing. Because it, it, it's one of those things. It's like, uh, it seems like the extension of his code, is that, you know, there'd be these guys that are murderers and obviously people do plea deals and stuff and they, you know, obviously they're probably people that murder somebody and get out in like five years or three years or whatever because they get a thing. And I was surprised there was never really any episode that was about him being like, they were punished by the system, but not punished enough for me. Right. And I and I think Dexter would probably be of the opinion that people aren't going to reform since that's... Well, he's got that... Uh, the. The best way they explored that one, uh, the two good ways that they explored that one was he had the kid uh, that he was about to, that had like killed right. the other kid, and then the kid comes back later, and he's like, oh, I got this stuff. But uh, the most deaf character, who is a, a reformed bad right. guy and trying to reform other people, he thinks that he hasn't reformed, and it turns out he has, and that's the first time that there's a character on that show that that does that in a way that is, is believable and that you see Dexter have to reprogram a little around that. Yeah, yeah. So it seems like the, there's maybe room for a version of Dexter out there who's a little bit more organized, <laughs> a little less about himself and a little bit more about the mission. Because, yeah, if, if, if your main goal was, I'm going to take out people who have killed and are going to kill again. Uh-huh. And if I'm convinced of that, there are more efficient oh, yeah, that was ways the third of doing that. Bullet point kind of thing is that you're if you're gonna you have to prevent another murder from happening. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, so he could have just hung out at prisons or like. Yeah. But it it is it's I mean it's it is ultimately selfish because it's sort of like well if somebody kills someone kind of near where I am in Florida great but like uh-huh. I'm not gonna drive to Montana right <laughs> it's got to be in Florida <laughs> and it's got to be the ridiculously uh, time intensive plastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a, uh, uh, the fashion designer Mark Echo produced a Dexter video game that's on iPad and iPhone and some other platforms. 
uh, at a, a big part of that game is always setting up your kill room and making sure you've got plastic over everything, uh-huh. which is the weirdest mini game in the world to be like, <laughs> oh, you missed a spot. Like, <laughs> I don't think anyone's playing this to play uh, Saran Wrap Simulator. Like, that's just such a weird. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean a great iconic image. Uh, when we were getting ready to move to Los Angeles, we have a we own a house in Minneapolis. We needed to do some repairs mm-hmm. uh, to get it ready for rental. And uh, one of the things that was being done is some patches to the ceiling. So I was back in my office working. Worker dude came in and did. I heard some work going on, and then I walked into my living room, and it was Dexter's kill room <laughs> because there was just plastic everywhere, and it was there's just, terrifying. There's pictures of your album covers up on the wall, like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, my comedy's not that bad. Come on. Like, this is why you deserve to die. Oh, I just projected so hard. <laughs> I think I should be killed for how bad my comedy is. That's a thing that lives in me. Well, is, is that a thing that you do think about? Like, that, that is a big part of Dexter, that, that sort of ritual symbolism of he puts in the kill room why you deserve to die. Mm-hmm. And is that something that you, you think about, of those images, of what those symbols are, of why people deserve to die? About why those are symbols, or...? Yeah, well, just is that a, is that a detail that resonates? I mean, it's a it's a thing that's there, but I I I rarely think about that as being the the bigger part of it. I I think it's usually the conversations, especially when they're very one sided, uh, like when the tape never comes off and yeah. he just sort of gets out his feelings because it's the one time he's ever honest with anybody is when he's about to kill, and that's yeah. the only time you get the you get the the voiceover throughout the show, but you rarely get an. an an external monologue uh, that's that's that honest, and that's usually when he, that's that's his big learning point every week is always when that thing happens. Yeah, yeah, and I think it is one of the most cathartic moments too mm-hmm. to just watch somebody get to be totally themselves. Right, and I think that's a powerful thing about our culture too. Of like, you know, I could let myself be totally myself in front of someone as long as I knew I was going to kill him. <laughs> I couldn't tell anyone. It's uh, it was weird. The the first time I saw the scene where uh, he's about to kill the the therapist that's convinced all the women to commit suicide, and he's sitting there with the guy and goes, "I've never told anyone this before. Here we go. I'm a serial killer." Oh my god, that feels so good to say. Oh, this is, <laughs> like I must have laughed for like a day. I just thought that was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Awesome. Uh, so going to full spoiler territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Dexter ends up going off and being a lumberjack. And I read the I read that before I saw it, and I was like, "This is a joke." And then I saw it, and like, okay, well, there's some other stuff happens, and <laughs> his whole life falls apart. He loses everything. He loses his family. He loses Deb, and he's got to go off into hiding. And what I read from the writers is that what's suppo- it's supposed to be a punishment that he doesn't have anything, mm-hmm. and he doesn't even have his voiceover. So it's like he's not even talking to right. himself. Uh, so. What do you think of the ending? Do you think that's a great... Oh, it's awful. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, and it was also... The the writers were forced to do it, and it, it took a month or two before somebody for, finally stepped forward and was like, they said we couldn't kill him. Okay, so they wanted... They were like, this was absolutely supposed to end in a, a kind of nice death with, you know, his sister, you know, they go out into the storm. It's kind of pretty and interesting, and it's, it's at least a thing, and it at least tries to wrap up the story. And they're like, nah... Because what if we want to bring this this property back at some point? And that's that's the thing that because when I first saw it, I was like, I am prepared to defend this ending. I have things that I like about it and things that are interesting, and I I, I want to know I want to rewatch until I figure out what was supposed to build towards that or what makes that the choice. Uh, and as soon as somebody was like, No, they just told us that we had to do that for intellectual intellectual property trademark line yeah. marketing stuff. And I was just like. No, money can't dictate the end of this thing that I've put in 300 hours into. It's unacceptable. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. I understand the route of we want to, instead of killing him, like, you know, had just happened mm-hmm. uh, on other shows yeah. of this sort of like, well, this character is amazing, but really for a sort of moral circle, they is, need to, they need to be done. Is that one dead? Uh, I think so. That would be awesome if he wasn't. He's hinted that he isn't. Oh, interesting. Interesting. On a, on a daytime talk show in like Arizona a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> I was just like, this is this is the way to, oh, uh, don't do this. Uh, uh. But I, I like the, I, I understand the idea of we don't want to kill him. We need to punish him. Uh-huh. Total isolation is punishment, especially for a creature that we've watched 
tried to learn to be more social. He succeeded in it. They've isolated him. But then to isolate him in a Monty Python sketch mm-hmm. <laughs> in such a weird sort of like, they could have gone with the kind of classic walking down the road with the, the backpack, you know? Bum, bum. <laughs> uh and, and and there was a part of it that was even so weird because I I can think of so many things that uh, in in recent pop culture have started with somebody being in that kind of lumberjack isolation like Man of Steel right he's there uh, the uh, one of the Wolverine Origins films he <laughs> he was definitely lumber like it's uh, it seems like that's a place where a lot of uh, superhero stuff is starting from and that's how a friend spoiled it for me he was he ran in is like you know dexter ends the same way man of steel begins like i hate you why did you what is that i what does that mean i was like i, was like, I don't even know what that means I, I, i'm not sure it's spoiled but i'm yes. real mad at you right launch to another planet <laughs> like that would have been better. my my weird hope now is that there is some sort of strange crossover and since twin peaks is coming back and he's clearly in the pacific northwest that dexter shows up <sighs> on twin peaks and Dale Cooper's got to hunt him down. That's yep. that's how those things He's go. He's possessed by Bob. It'll be perfect. <laughs> uh, so, well, that would get into the thing from the books the, about where yeah. the dark passenger comes. Damn it! Yep. Damn it! We made this make too much sense. <laughs> yes, fan fiction. Uh, no, what I do hope is that if they if they're going to do that thing to make the thing still be there, that it gets a movie or something at some point down the line. I don't know what they want to do with that. And, you know, some of those actors, you can't wait that many years because some of those people are, are, are not going to age so well. Like it's, uh, yeah. uh, you know, I, I don't think you want to check in on Angel in five or six years. Uh, it's, <laughs> I, I've, I've sat down and, and, and did that thing that you do when you get real angry when a show gets canceled too early or something and you try to write out for yourself what you wanted the ending to be or even what you could do with one more episode or a made-for-TV yeah. movie thing to to do something interesting or fun. And it's just... They've, they've burned so much of it <laughs> because they had a kind of nice ending that they were heading for. It's, um, it's kind of like uh, I stopped watching Lost mm-hmm. uh, in the second season because I came out to L.A. and I met uh, a person who was working on the show and uh, they they had told me, we had this ending in mind, and at the start of season two, all the executives from the network started being like, we have notes that we want you to start doing, because first season, they'd been very hands-off. Yeah. Second season, they're like, well, we want our voices to be heard, and by the midpoint of the second season, the executives had forced them to write some stuff that meant that they no longer could do the, the ending that they were working wow. with from the start. And so knowing that, and that even that this guy working on the show was like, so this big mystery show we don't have a good ending for anymore and we're going to have to spend the rest of the show trying to figure out what that is. And that was that moment. I was like, I'm out. I don't, I don't, I have no interest in putting any more time into it. And I was waiting for the show to end. I was like, if it ends and people are like, wow, that was a cool ride. I'll, I'll take the time to sit down and go back through it. And when it ended, everyone was like, the hell was that? I was like, I made such a good, like, that's the first time I've been, I, I distanced myself. I knew what was happening. I tried to warn other people like, no, it's like the best show. I was like, but it's going to end in, okay, you know. And I, I, I get the people that liked it because I, I take it that it was a really fun experience. But yeah. I, I can't duplicate that now, so it's it's fine. <laughs> yeah, they're, they all end up as lumberjacks, so it doesn't matter. Damn it, <laughs> <laughs> uh, You're building the biggest crossover disappointment <laughs> episode of all time. One, one episode that's supposed to wind up Twin Peaks <laughs> lost. Dexter. I can't do anything for Battlestar Galactica, though. That's my most hated ending. Because... Oh, I've still not gotten to that. Oh, okay. Well, I won't say anything. <laughs> I, well, I'll only say this, is that I, I understand like exactly what you're saying, that like writers get hubris, mm-hmm. uh, executives get involved, mm-hmm. so it can be really hard to do a complete thing. Right. All I really care about is that the actions remain true to the characters, because I feel like usually a writer can bend a plot around to the point at least where these events have to happen. Right. But the how and the why. And I like the ending of Lost because, like, everything that happened is ridiculous and dumb. Uh-huh. But, I, but the characters were the characters the whole time. Yes. And I really like that. Um, so if, if someone watched nothing but Dexter for a week, how do you think it would affect their, their life? Um, boy. To plow through the, the entirety of the run... Um, 
I think it's probably an overall pretty good experience. <laughs> I, I, I almost I, I almost never watch an episode and wind up being left angry or sad about anything. Like I usually like have kind of a buzz from uh, episodes of Dexter, which I, I, I guess I don't get that tingle from that many <laughs> uh, narrative TV shows anymore. Um, I don't think it's like Grand Theft Auto where they're going to have weird murder thoughts. That's not yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah, I think it is ultimately for a show all about murder. Mm. A little bit of a, a, yeah, a positive or melancholy, because I think it is about, it's about a guy who is trying to become the best version of himself. Of himself. Yeah. And the most normal, just a, a good person. And yeah. The, and the, even the show about murder part, uh, I've got uh, like a poster that somebody made on Etsy or something that uh, that chronicles all the murders in the Dexter series. Oh, cool. Uh, and it shows how each person died by season. And in the first four seasons, there are a whole bunch of murders. And then it starts to be like six or seven, like less than one per episode moving on past that point. And you're like, oh, yeah, they stopped having him be a murderer for the most part in those later things. And he's just Batman. Like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And every once in a while, they really, they really remove the emphasis of the need to kill. Yeah, which is, it's growth. It's growth for the character. It's the same thing with, with Huck on, on Scandal, also trying to deal with this addiction to, yeah. to violence and murder. And so it it's good that it got to that point, because if he just, if he got more murdery as the show went on, you'd <laughs> be like, what's going, he's, he's not a better, he's not getting better. <laughs> yeah, you went on and just get better at killing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so here's the, uh, the how obsessed are you question. Gotcha. Okay, do you think about Dexter every day? No. <laughs> do you think about anything besides existential dread every day? <sighs> Sex, booze. <laughs> uh, that's about it. Awesome, awesome. I can relate to all of those things. Uh, can you hold an entire conversation using nothing but quotes from Dexter? Probably not. Yeah, there's just not as many sort of. It's not a super quotey show, which is maybe why tonight's the night. Well, he, all the all the most quotable parts of the show, I think, come from his voiceover, and that's not very <laughs> conversational to, to in slip, nature. To slip into a conversation, <laughs> like maybe I can change. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so for a while, you probably know this since you you were looking at Dexter uh, uh, properties out there. For a while, Think Geek was selling the Dexter Kill shirt. Mm -hmm. uh, would you buy and wear the Dexter Kill shirt? I have a couple of the Dexter shirt things. There was a period right at the end of the the series where the Showtime store started selling a bunch of merch and props and stuff. And one of the things that they were selling was trash bags, just trash bags. They weren't like Dexter <laughs> trash bags. It was like $10 for like a, the same trash bags you would get from the store. I was like... This is so dumb. This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And then they're like surgical gloves, and I was like, "You're you're just, just you're just selling murder tools. Like this knives. is all your yeah." <laughs> and here's some mace. Uh, I got really excited. I don't normally I don't buy too much like geek stuff. That's not mm -hmm. where my especially clothing or uh, where my obsessions kind of lead me. But I I realized I really really wanted the Dexter Kill shirt. And I think it's because it is just a guy who puts on a shirt mm -hmm. when he's going to be efficient. Mm -hmm. And there's something about that of like... I like the worksmanship of it, yeah. Yeah, like maybe if I just, you know, I lay around all day and then I put on my fucking Dexter Kill shirt, I would finish my writing and do the dishes. <laughs> it's going to save the marriage. Um, <laughs> I, have a, I have one with the boat with the Slice of Life uh, on it. Uh, three or so years ago, I got fired from a job I was working at one day and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go treat treat yourself. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go down to Long Beach, uh, and I'm gonna rent a little boat and go around the the marina there, uh, because they do that. You can rent a boat for like two hours and you just float around. Uh, and I I brought like a, a bottle of champagne, and uh, had some CDs in my backpack. And I I got on the boat, and uh, the thing about being in that marina down there is that they know everybody's going to drink while they're boating. So rather than having police out there trying to keep people from doing it, they just put limiters on all the boats at a max of five miles per hour. So you're basically just going where the water is taking you okay. for the most part. Uh, so I was sitting in the boat, <laughs> and I had uh, 
there was a CD player. I was like, oh, what CDs do I have with me? But the only CD I had with me was the Dexter soundtrack. So I put it in the boat, and I'm playing it on the boat. And that whole uh, marina thing, you're just kind of in the backyards of rich people's homes. Like, you see, you're right there. So I just, for two hours, listed around rich people's houses, blaring the Dexter soundtrack from the boat and just, like, staring. And it was the happiest I've ever been, just occasionally drinking some champagne and being like, best day getting fired ever. Like, this is... Did you feel like it was an implicit threat to the rich people? Uh, some Sometimes when they'd give me weird looks and then I'd just sort of slow the boat down a little bit and stay. I was like, I'm having fun. Let's... Let's play it how weird Brock looks today. Uh, <laughs> and I love that it's champagne. I, I think that that was what was at the gas station. There was like <laughs> two wines and like a Behringer champagne. I was like, that's the one for me. Today's the day. <laughs> Today's the middle of the afternoon. That's Actually, awesome. I think the reason we, we picked Dexter was uh, I got my Valentine's Day present early uh, from a girlfriend. And uh, what she'd done is that she'd gotten a blood slide box. That was numbered and had all the slides. And on each slide for each month we've been together, she put a picture of us from that month. Uh, So there's a lot of slides to go, but there's a lot of slides for the thing. I was like, this is a very specifically romantic thing to me that I can't share with anyone else. Yeah. Because you'll look worse than I do in this situation. Yeah, that is, I mean, that is, that is like the heart of the strange oh, obsession of with Dexter of, of not just you, but like the, the culture of like yeah. to make murder this cutesy. Yeah, that's as, that's as Etsy as something gets. <laughs> I made our relationship into blood slides and then you share them with your friends. Did you, did you hide the slides? In your home, like Dexter does, they're uh, they're not on public display. I was like, "This is <laughs> this one's for me." <laughs> awesome. Uh, would you read or write Dexter slash fiction? Absolutely. <laughs> I already said I've tried. I, uh, I'd actually written I'd written a Dexter spec while I was in college, uh, and uh, it it involved Dexter. Uh, being in a DUI kind of thing and wrecking his car while I had a body in the back seat, and then season four starts with that, and yeah. I was like, "Oh, here we go!" Like, <laughs> here comes the lawsuit. <laughs> no, just that kind of thing where when you're writing spec stuff, it makes you. It, most shows I've written a spec for, I can't watch that show anymore because I'm like, I'm just waiting for them to use my B story and make all the work I did on this irrelevant, which is how I ruined Thirty Rock and Psych and a bunch of other things for myself. <laughs> and when that happened, I was like. You know what? I'm not going to let that hate in my heart ruin this moment for me. I'm just going to watch the fun show and see what they do with it. Awesome. Would you get a Dexter tattoo? Whew. Nah, not a tattoo guy. So it's more about the not getting a tattoo than the yeah, devotion I, to Dexter. Yeah, if I was if I was once that tattoo cork got popped, I maybe Maybe there could be something there. Uh, it's also, but that's it's just a weird thing, especially if somebody saw it. Like, what's that? It's like I have a tattoo on my body from the TV show Dexter. Uh, yeah, and and you'd have to. I, I'm trying to think what a Dexter tattoo would be because it would have to be iconic enough to not be just like uh, a it's a tattoo just of a, a knife or a garbage bag, <laughs> <laughs> the universal symbol for Dexter. I wonder how the people who work on the show feel like that is a symbol. Of your television show is literally a receptacle for trash. Well, the number of uh, the number of real life murders now that somebody has said that they based it on what they saw in Dexter, or they were inspired by Dexter or something yeah. to do that crime. That's always the weird. Yeah, because uh, Brett Easton Ellis went through a period of that with American Psycho for a number of years, where every once in a while there'd be a somebody killed somebody and was like, "I did it because of American Psycho," and he's like, "No, you didn't. You stopped." Yeah, I mean, that's always going to happen. The the one that always sticks with me is uh, I was doing sort of summer stock in northern Minnesota by Mm. by a lake, and I was in Macbeth, uh, and there was an article in the newspaper that some kid had cut somebody with a sword and was blaming it on the Highlander movies, which, like, at this point, the Highlander movies were already, like, way old. (laughs) But everybody was kind of like, this is what's wrong with media and why we're going to go see Shakespeare tonight. And like, it is an hour and a half of people going yeah, to each other. It is. 
There is no line there. Yeah. There's no yeah. Queen soundtrack. Otherwise, there's... Yeah. And the great thing about the production was it had... It was all from uh, actors from Minneapolis. Uh-huh. A very, like, professional company doing professional Shakespeare. Uh, and... But they wanted to have, like, a community component where they could have extras that come from the city. Uh-huh. Uh, but the only people that they could get to be in Macbeth were, like, a bunch of 16-year-old boys who wanted to fight with swords. Oh, my God. So the big climactic scene was, like, a 40-year-old man playing Macbeth slaughtering 16-year-old boys left and right. Just like in that Star Wars prequel. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, so the the whatever is the murder of the day, be it Shakespeare Was everybody in the cast kind of like, this is... We, we see how weird this is, or was it one of those that got to stage and you're like, ah, oh, that's happening? No, there was there was a lot of uh, things that were not caught <laughs> in this production of Macbeth. There's also a lot of Metallica in the soundtrack. Uh, and this was, this was 2004, so the director just ham-fistedly forced it to be about the war in Iraq. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God. He turned oh, no. the witches in Macbeth into political advisors sure so he took all agency away from Macbeth like when Macbeth was having a soliloquy trying to decide what to do the witches would come whisper in his ear no the way Cheney was whispering in no. Bush's ear no oh my god <laughs> and then he made it explicit in like the Q&A by just telling the people of this town that that's what it was about and they all went uh, how do you hate Shakespeare that much <laughs> to do that thing? I know and they loved him uh, anyway uh, would you break up with someone who did not like Dexter Nah, I've dated people that don't like Dexter. I get it. It's fine. It's fine to not like the show. That's a very healthy perspective. Uh, If you could not watch Dexter without someone you love first being uh, punched in the groin, would you still watch Dexter? Groin punches are always hilarious. Absolutely. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, And I ask people to make a noise to sum up their obsession. Is there a noise you can make to sum up your obsession with Dexter? That is awesome. There I we are. love that. I love that sound effect. That isn't the effect. The music is it. Is that the glass? That's the swirly glass stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That hits me where I live. That makes me think yeah. about my dark passenger who is sometimes a dick on Twitter. You can't. You can't hear the song and not internal monologue. No, no. Yeah, I mean today, Brock. Today, <laughs> no subway. Don't go near shipping containers. They're scary. <laughs> uh, I was going to bring that sound cue up uh, before, but I could, or I keep calling it a sound cue, that music, uh, but I could not even think of how to produce that sound with my mouth. So <laughs> thank you for doing that. Uh, so here are the final questions that don't have anything to do with the obsession, but they can if you want. Cool. Uh, if you could telepathically command an army of animals, what kind of animals would you want to command? You're so good at these questions. <laughs> you're so Your live show is so good at these questions. Your podcast is so good at these questions. Want to live in your brain, Joseph. Uh, honey badgers. Oh, yeah. Been playing the game uh, Far Cry 4, and there's a lot of animals out in the world, and uh, lions and bears and all this other stuff, <laughs> and the ones that take just all the bullets in the world to kill and just murder everyone are these angry little honey badgers. And, <laughs> and I was like, you're right. They are really nature's asshole. That is... Uh, so you would want to command nature's oh, arm, asshole. army of honey badgers, absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, if you had the power of flight, but you could only fly if you were holding a specific object in your hand, what would you want the object to be? Bowling ball. <laughs> that Lebowski shot just forever. <laughs> nice. And the final question for everyone on the podcast, what is happiness? Just not having to think about it. <laughs> That's awesome. Can you uh, can you close us out with the uh, Dexter sound crack again? Thank you very much. That is our podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. Obsessed.